Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. The experience customers of our products encounter impacts the value they find in our products. The customer experience is intertwined with customers' perceptions of value. To explore customer experience, I talked with two people who designed the customer experience for theme parks, zoos, museums, and other venues. Part of the conversation is about a recent book they wrote, The CEO's Time Machine, which uses historical innovations and a story about careful listening to create new innovations in the context of a fictional company. We share useful insights to help innovators along with a more personal feeling in this interview, and that's because my guests include the Chief Creative Officer at Creative Principles, Jeff Thatcher, and designer, Zoe Thatcher, who is his daughter. Consequently, it was fitting for my daughter, Caitlin, to join me as co-host for this episode. If you hear something you want to refer back to, simply go to the show notes, which contain highlights of all the key points. You'll find them at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 294. We also prepared an action guide for you to put the insights from the discussion into action for yourself or to discuss them with the group. Find those along with the summary at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 294. Now, let's talk with Jeff and Zoe. Jeff and Zoe, thank you for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast. So glad that you can be part of this. You have this new book that you put together. We're going to dive into that. But first, Jeff, give us a sense of the work that you've done. So we have a small design firm called Creative Principles, and we work on experiences, whether those experiences be corporate brand experiences, uh, corporate visitor centers, corporate lobbies, or museum exhibits, or theme parks, and even zoos. So we are experienced designers, and we have a lot of fun and I personally have been in this industry since I was 14 years old and got a job as a cleanup boy. And, you know, Zoe's been around theme parks and experiences her whole life because uh, that's what I've been doing since I was 14. And we always used to joke that when we went to theme parks, we were doing, quote, hashtag research. And right. so, and Zoe was always uh, a big lover of those experiences. And, and she joined us in August of 2019. Wonderful. What a great way to craft a tax write-off. Say hey, we got to take a trip to the Steve Park, right? <laughs> it, you know, it is funny that you know. I mean, I literally we do have to like sure. go to theme parks. It's part of our job, and and we have to. I mean, we're always sometimes like, you know, like oh, well, we've got to go to the observation deck of this thing, you know, the skyscraper, but we only have like a half hour, and it's fine yeah. because we just have to experience it. So the more experiences we have the better. And you, you have to do that or you have no credibility. Because if you're in a meeting and you're facilitating a, a workshop and the client says, well, this should really be like, you know, the elevator ride at the One World Observatory in New York. And if you say, well, I haven't done that. They right. look at you like, well, wait a second. I thought you designed experience. This is your space. So you have to, you know, you have to actually go do all those things. And so yep. that's a burden that Zoe has happily... A horrible, horrible burden. <laughs> so hard. So, so, somehow you've put up with that. <laughs> Wonderful. Very good. I, I mean, right before the pandemic lockdown started, Zoe did a hashtag research trip to Universal Studios and Disney to get... Yeah, right. Because the, 
We took well, advantage of the low crowds right before all the parks closed the mm-hmm. weekend before. So we went Very down and we rode the new Hagrid motorbike ride. And um, and what is the name of that attraction, Zoe? Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure. It's a, it's a mouthful of a ride name. But. And what did you learn from riding that uh, ride? You got to... Well, the ride itself is very cool, but the queue, the line, people got so mad because they have this uh, pre-show where they group everyone together and everyone loses their spot in line, but it's only halfway through. And so then half the people who were in the back of the line get to go to the front and everyone was just mad because there was another two hour mm-hmm. wait after that. And but That's part of the experience, right? Setting expectations and yeah. <laughs> got to work on that. And what was the name of the ride again? I'm sorry, I, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> magical creature motorbike adventure the longest theme park ride name that, in the history of the world that is a mouthful okay so you get to be involved in some pretty interesting work and we can maybe have time to dive into that further um i think you and your daughter caitlin should adopt this hashtag research philosophy yeah that sounds pretty fun we, we have done a number of trips together so mm-hmm. we're a bit of road warriors uh but on the road a lot together, but well, it's the same with innovation, right? You can't innovate unless you have stimulus. Exactly. So in order in order to have ideas coming out of your mind, you have to have ideas coming into your mind. So, right, like uh, a JoJo Siwa concert, right, Caitlin? That would be fun. That's stimulus. I've never think been to one of those. <laughs> That's probably good. It's mostly probably for like eight year olds, but I've had to go to one. So we, we did do the giggles. No, not the giggles. The, the wiggles. Wiggles when you were mm-hmm. three or so. So mm-hmm. yes, that, that was a sensation by itself. That is an experience. Okay. So Jeff, you're the principal of this group helping with theme parks, museums, zoos, all kinds of customer experience sort of activities, right? Where the, the event is the experience. Zoe, what's your part of this? Besides getting to tour, you know, ha- having to go and get pulled along the theme parks all the time. Yeah, so I guess my official term is designer. I do a lot of illustration and concept work for these ideas that he comes up with. So we'll get, you know, a project and we'll come up with this idea for a great attraction and I'll kind of mock up what it might look like so we can present a kind of a artistic idea of what the attraction would look like and kind of bring some emotion into it. And then other than that, I do a lot of research and help pull together images and inspiration for a lot of projects too. Excellent. Very good. And just this this week, she's had to help us. We're, We're trying to, we have a client and I can't tell you who the client is, but we're trying to create the coolest national anthem experience ever. And so Zoe's been doing a lot of research on national anthem experiences. Yes. And now I'm intrigued. We'll have to talk more about that sometime. So, Caitlin, do you have a follow-up that you want to ask about that? So when you're doing the research, what, what kind of research do you do? Um, it really depends. Other than, on the, other than visiting. Yeah, it depends on the project. But a lot of the times I'll need to gather either visual references or video references. So if we're... For example, researching projection mapping. I mean, I can spend hours on like YouTube or other sites just trying to find like the coolest examples and the perfect example to illustrate what we want to show, even though it might not be like the exact venue. If we want to show projection mapping on a building, 
we can find a bunch of different examples and then pull together and kind of make kind of say, well, it's a combination of this one and this one. And then you kind of pitch that. So I do a lot of um, video as well as visual research. Sounds like you have a pretty neat job. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A a shorter way to say that, Caitlin, is she spends a lot of time on Pinterest and gets paid for it. Yes. (laughs) A lot of time Uh on YouTube and it's honestly, I can't complain. So... (laughs) Caitlin spends a lot of time on LinkedIn, but that's for me and doesn't sound nearly as much fun. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, again, you know, this, this podcast is about innovation. And right. when we're trying to innovate an experience, whether it be a corporate lobby where they want a cool new display or a national anthem experience or a museum exhibit or a theme park ride or you know, whatever it is, a lot of that innovation comes from us going out. And Zoe's a huge part of this, and she's really got a talent for it, of, of finding images that inspire us, mm-hmm. finding images and video that help us to innovate and come up with new ideas. Because, you know, I mean, just, I mean, just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, she was, she was researching stained glass windows for, an experience we were working on where we had an idea where we wanted to do some cool stuff with stained glass windows. And it's just, you know, that research led her to a stained glass house that was a part of a public art display. And then that led to uh, burning man where someone did a stained glass whale. And then that comes back around to cathedrals and churches that have stained glass windows in them. So, so it's all of this, this stimulus, all of this visual stimulation that really helps to, help us innovate. Yeah. And I want to dive into some specifics of that because as product managers, when we're creating a new product, the story that, you know, we use story throughout that process, uh, at least if we're being effective, we do. We use story and communicating our ideas to others to try to influence them. And the product itself may be telling a story in a sense. It's certainly solving a problem for customers, but the customer's interaction with the product you know, has a big influence how they feel about it, right? And, and even something as now as mundane as a, a iPod, the first time that I I got an Apple iPod, you know, I ordered it online many years ago and it showed up at the door and unboxing that thing was very much like a Christmas present, right? It, there was an experience just in opening it up because they crafted it so specifically. And I'd love for you to walk through kind of what what makes a good customer experience and I want to connect back to the story idea because I know you were involved with Marvel, their, their theme park, I guess it is, over, over in Dubai. And I followed uh, Devin Supertramp for the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. And, Devin's fantastic. Great and, innovator. Yeah. And, and he has a very distinctive feel to his videos, right? And you guys crafted this wonderful video introducing the theme park in a story-like way, right? Where someone else might just come in and say, hey, let's take these magnificent shots of what the theme park is like you introduced an experience through story as part of that too. And so people want to go check that out. You know, I'll provide a link in the show notes to that uh, Devin's video. Yeah, too. that video, it's really easy to find. All you have to do is do uh, Joker versus Batman parkour. Okay. And it will <laughs> and, show up. And it takes you, just to clarify, it's a, it's not the Marvel park in Dubai. It's the Warner Brothers World Abu Dhabi. Ah, okay. Thank you. So, no, it's okay. There is a Marvel park in Dubai. Yeah, I, I got the mixed uh, up in my head. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's, it's sometimes hard to keep straight all the comic book characters and you know zoe's definitely this more is of a, batman a, yeah zoe's zoe's definitely more of a marvel fan but she did design the costumes for the grand opening of warner brothers world yeah. abu dhabi well done so that was 
that was kind of fun. But no, I mean, the reason why that video has, you know, 10 million plus views on Facebook and 8 million views on YouTube and, you know, another, I don't know, 500,000 on Instagram or whatever. The reason that video has gone viral and been so successful is really, it tells a great story. And Devin is a great storyteller. And, you know, the story is quite simple. It's that it's the night before uh, Warner Brothers World Abu Dhabi is about to open. And the Joker is trying to prevent the opening. I mean, he is the Joker and he's trying to, you know, he's kidnapping employees and he's, you know, he's trying to prevent the, the grand opening from, from happening. And so Batman recruits the help of Dom Tomato, who's the world's, one of the world's best parkour athletes. And he is really amazing. And he would do jumps and flips and turns. And I remember there was this kind of a funny story. We're there doing this video. And it was crazy because we're trying to produce this video while the park is still being built. I mean, literally, we're, we're still, you know, two weeks from the grand opening. We've got cranes running around and construction workers and, you know, big cherry pickers and ladders. And we're trying to produce this video. And our parkour athlete, Dom Tomato, is standing up like two stories up on top of uh, a building in Gotham. And he's getting ready to jump across this building and then run across and then jump down and do a flip and land on cement and then roll. And you've seen the video, right, Chad? So, and, and one of the, the engineers comes up to me who's working on building the park and he goes, he goes so you got, uh, you got uh, you know, high protection? You got safety harnesses on for this guy? And I'm like, no, he's a parkour athlete. He does it like he jumps on purpose and falls on purpose and – it was, it was quite fun. But, you know, the story, back to your question, the story, 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 all great experiences. And I believe all great innovations begin with a powerful story. What is the story you're trying to tell? What is it, you know, what is that story? Now, when it comes to experiences, then you have to translate that story. And one of the things uh, we did with the book, The CEO's Time Machine, and we do with all of our attractions and experiences is we follow a formula. And that formula is first, you have to have some type of iconic element that draws you in. And so Zoe in the story created this amazing garage, right, Zoe? And yeah. then, yeah. And then we go from, from, that, from that icon that draws you into the story, then you have to build trust with people. Now let's go back to Universal Studios for a minute because when Zoe was 14, we went to the Harry Potter attraction with the castle and we were inside Hogwarts. And Zoe, do you remember what you told me when we were standing inside that queue at Hogwarts? I said, this is legit. This, I feel like I'm in Hogwarts right now. So the very best attractions, the very best experiences, they build trust. And Zoe, who is a huge fan of Harry Potter, that trust was built. Mm-hmm. And then from that trust, then you go into the, the pre-show. And the pre-show is where you get the information you need to move forward in the journey. So again, you start with a tract. Then you go to trust, then you go to information. You get the information you need. And then next, you internalize the story. So for Hogwarts and Harry Potter, you go and ride a broomstick and you get to ride. And for other attractions, it's, it's something different. Even for museums, that where you internalize the message is, is a very important part of that story. And then the final thing you do is you exit through retail. And people think it's just about making money. And sure, you want to make money, but it's really where you challenge people to act. You challenge people to do, th- do something. So again, that formula for bringing stories to life and creating experiences, you attract and draw them in. 
you build trust, you give them information they need to move forward in the journey, you help them internalize the story, and finally you ask them to do something. And you would think as Zoe and I were standing there with the rest of our family at the Harry Potter retail store at Hogwarts, and we're looking at all these Quidditch jerseys. And yes, we bought wands and bought jerseys, but yeah, they wanted us to buy something. But what they really wanted us is to become part of the story. And so we stood there and Zoe, what was the question that all of us were asking? And that, I was just going to say, and not only are you becoming part of the story, you're sharing it afterwards because mm-hmm. you bought stuff and you're sharing the story when you get back home, right? With others. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so so we yeah, were, yeah. What did you buy? Yeah. No. So, so when we were standing there trying to decide what it wasn't, what, it wasn't what kind of Jersey we wanted to buy. What, what was it that we really wanted to figure out? We wanted to figure out which house each of us belonged into. And so I am a Hufflepuff. And my dad is a Slytherin. Now, is that by default or because everything else is taken or is he actually that he, he is. He, he is a Slytherin. <laughs> I like am a Slytherin because when she was 11 years old, I was teaching her how to play Monopoly. He hid and- money under the table. And he was like, sorry. Uh, he like made a deal with me. He's like, I'll give you all the money I have. For this, I don't even know. I said, I have here in front of me on the table. That's what I said. And he was hiding money under the table. So he is a Slytherin because he's sneaky. But (laughs) I was just trying to teach her a very important lesson about negotiation. Don't show all your cards. Yes. (laughs) So I'm Slytherin, Zoe's Hufflepuff. Yes. And then mom and Mia are both Gryffindor and brother is Ravenclaw. So. But I mean, the point of that is, you know, you get the shirt, but, you know, if as a big Harry Potter nerd, I, I have many Hufflepuff merchandise and all of that kind of stuff and not all from Harry Potter world, just because, you know, you kind of, you wear it like a jersey, like a sports team, you kind of, you identify with it and you connect with it and you want to share it with others. Right. It's really about becoming, it's becoming part of that story. That's what you want people to do. You want to become part of that story. And you know, innovation in some ways, I think you could argue is like experiences. You want Absolutely. people to become part of that innovation. Yeah. And back to the iPod example, right? I was bought in as just by, an, not even the device yet, the thing I bought, right? It was the experience of opening it and like, wow, this is so clean and elegant and beautiful. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM Experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of five to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high performing team in just nine weeks, 75 minutes a week without travel. This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Okay. This is basically free consulting for me because I, I'm revamping a, an experience that I provide my main product to businesses. And you just gave me some really good ideas for how to make this better. So, well, we I'll send you, I'll, I'll send, we did a nice video on the experience model and I'll send it to you after. 
Oh, excellent. I'll, I'll put that in the link so everyone can yeah. see that as well. Good. Okay, let's dive into this book. Caitlin and I had the pleasure of reading it uh, recently. So it's called The CEO's Time Machine. And there's a few specific things we want to ask you about, but just give us a kind of a summary of what this thing is about. And particularly, you know, product managers, innovators, we are concerned about creating products that people are going to love, right? And if we had a time machine, we could look into the future and figure out what they love. That would be great. But give us a sense about the book. Oh, okay. I guess I'll take it off. So the basic premise of the book is that there's this CEO and he's just so far ahead of the game. He's got this company that's super successful. Nobody quite knows how he does it because he's just always ahead of the curve. But he has this big secret R&D garage. And the rumor is that there's a time machine in there because there's just this, he keeps it secret from everyone. Nobody else is allowed in. He's just so far ahead of the game. They're like, well, the only explanation could be that he has a time machine. Um, and the story starts as the CEO is about to retire and he's turning the reins over to his young protege. And so he's allowing her to go into the garage to see the time machine. <laughs> okay. As a brief aside, I'm curious about the, dra- the garage because there's a reference to the, the uncle automotive garage is this based on any personal experience your dad said that the garage was part of your imagination zoe um not too not, much not i mean really. he told the story like two or three years ago so the i mean it may have been i don't know but the garage itself more of a symbol than there's, an actual i mean there's lots of crazy inspiration here and part of it is like also zoe and i like the princess bride and, you know, the story of Dread Pirate Roberts, where, you know, the, the, the captain of the ship leaves with one of his people and then comes back and, and the, the new, the, you know, the protege has the mask on, everybody just starts calling him Dread Pirate Roberts, Dread Pirate Roberts, and all of a sudden you have a new Dread Pirate Roberts and the old one goes away and retires. And, you know, part of this was the CEO, he has to bring his protege into the garage to give, you know, so everybody knows that like, oh my gosh, she's like then the only person in the whole company who's now gone inside his garage and knows what's in there and oh my gosh, what's in there. And it's, it's very secretive. And part of that is the mystique. You know, you talked about the iPod earlier and Steve Jobs was able to build that mystique around inventing the future. And so much of what a leader has to do is part of it is branding and creating that. But, you know, there's a lot of experiences in the book that reflect our career. So what, you know, after they go in the garage, the first thing they come to is a basically a, a hallway, which is like a, a queue in a theme park attraction, full of historical artifacts. And many of those artifacts relate to Dayton, Ohio. And that's because, you know, until last year, Zoe and I, we all lived really, I mean, Zoe grew up in, in, in Ohio, you know, graduated from high school in Ohio. We lived in Ohio for a long time. And I, I worked on several projects in Dayton did one for the Montgomery, Montgomery County Historical Society where we're looking at doing a museum. And so really learned about, you know, in the early 1900s, Dayton was the Silicon Valley of the world. I mean, you had the Wright brothers, uh, you had Charles Kettering, you know, National Cash Register. You had amazing innovations coming out of Dayton. And of course, you're not seeing that now. It's not the Silicon Valley of the world right now. So so there there was a lot of 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 work experience over the years that went in into this. I worked on several projects with Skunk Works and Lockheed Martin, and there's some stories in the book about that as well. Zoe was able to bring to the party is, you know, I wrote this story three years ago, actually in 2016. 
And it just sat there and didn't really do anything. And, you know, the problem with doing projects in your spare time is you never have any spare time. And on October 29th of 2019, Zoe was doing an Instagram challenge called Inktober. And she knows more about this challenge than I do. But Zoe, tell them a little bit about what you did on October 29th. Yeah, so this kind of, there's an Instagram challenge for the month of October. It's kind of like a little pun called Inktober. So you basically, they give you like a prompt list and you post a picture every day in like an inked art style. And my boss, thankfully, gave me the opportunity to do this for during work hours. He's like, it's great professional development. Just, you know, spend an hour or two on it every day and just make sure you post. And so I posted it on our work account and then my personal account as well. And the on the 29th, I did a drawing of a girl in a red scarf. And I was just trying to do a different style, something very graphic and black and white with a pop of color, uh, the very, the same style that's in the book. And uh, he saw that after I had posted it and he's like, Oh, I have a great idea. This style is perfect for this story I wrote. We, we, we should make this happen. Like, let's, let's start this project back up again. And then, there, oh. oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Caitlin. Okay. Um, I just wanted to ask another question about that. You have a very unique style. And so I was wondering, what are your sources of inspiration for your illustrations? There's a lot. The funny thing is, like, the style of the book is very different than my normal drawing style. My normal drawing style is very much like a children's book, very colorful, younger characters, kind of cutesy. And some of it comes through. But the style that was from the book, honestly, I think the most inspiration just came from trying new things. And I, the Inktober challenge is great because a ton of artists are participating on it on Instagram. And so you get a lot of inspiration and you get to see a lot of different styles as well. So I don't know if there was one specific thing that kind of drew that style choice, but I think it was a culmination of just seeing all these great artists come together and participate in this challenge. And I took a little bit from here and a little bit from there and kind of combined it into the style that became the book. So what medium did you use? Was it just ink, like a pen or... So I actually use an iPad and a program called Procreate. So I wanted it to kind of emulate the feel of like a woodblock ink, but also have that futuristic feel that is kind of the digital art age. And so, and plus digital art is way faster. <laughs> I would have never been able to get all these illustrations done in the time that we did without digital media. So it's a, technically all done digitally. They have a very distinctive feel. And actually, I tried to find what it might be called. I looked for some comparisons and did not come up with anything. But they're kind of like an edgy cartoon style influenced by what feels like a fashion designer, which fits. Because yeah. we pay a lot of attention to the folds and the, and the people's clothing. And they look really, they're yeah, very well Yeah, our protege, is, she's, got a, she's dressed great. There's lots, of little, <laughs> uh-huh. there's lots of little details. Like I like, for example, our protege you know, she's really smart and she's the future of the company. And I like, it's a very small thing, but it's almost a little like, like this priestly outfit that she has on that just gives her a little bit of aura of authority that I just, I love. And so, you know, so that was October 29th, Caitlin. And then Zoe did a few doodles on what the protege might look like or the CEO might look like, but we really 
didn't do anything because we just were busy working. And then when the pandemic hit and, you know, I mean, our company's fine, but like everybody else in the world, projects have been on hold, projects have been pushed back, you know, our, our business has slowed down, kind of sad about it. But when the pandemic hit and business slowed, we felt like this pause would give us the perfect opportunity to do something. And both Zoe and I felt this like intense desire to get the book out before the lockdown ended. And so she did 43 illustrations in three weeks and we got the book out in just, just over a month, we were able to get the book published and you know, yeah, sure. The story was written, but we had to hire a copy editor. We had to get a fantastic graphic designer to help us with the layout and, and, and really take Zoe's illustration and create a cool cover out of it. And, and, you know, the great thing about being young, Caitlin, is, you know, when it comes to innovation as well, there's something wonderful about young people not knowing something isn't possible. Because if you were to ask an old, grizzled illustrator to do 43 illustrations in three weeks, they would have said no. They would say, I need two months. I need three months. But if you ask a young person to do it, they're like, okay. Sure, why <laughs> you know, not? Why not? Do. Why not? And, and so... I, I have signed Caitlin up for a few things like that as well, and am always delighted when she manages somehow to to figure it out and pull through. Yeah. But. Now, now, Caitlin, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. At the end of the book, our protege has a very important decision she has to make. Will she push the button and use the time machine or not push the button? What would you do? I would push the button. You would push the button. All right. Good choice. Most, good choice. I, most people, I have had several people that have been, that have not liked the ending. They, it, they don't it like how it ends. ethical dilemmas. It does. Um, yeah. It does. The, so, so for everyday innovators listening, you know, I think the very important part about this book, whether you like the ending or not, the very important part is that it addresses, there are, are organizational barriers always in place in, for innovation. And it's easy to miss the things that are good ideas. And it's even easier to not take action and kill the things that are good ideas, yeah. right? And this yeah, I mean, listen, that. I mean, this is a time machine. And, you know, you have to ask yourself sometimes, like, okay, is history important to innovation? Right. Is it? Now, if Zoe and I, if we're working on an experience and we want to create an innovative experience, one of the first things we do is we look at the history. And we look at examples in past of attractions like this or stories like this. So we definitely look at history. And sometimes, you know, you know, one of the greatest innovations in the last decade was the Nest thermostat, this little circular thermostat. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, like, you know, where was Honeywell? <laughs> they invented the circular, th- right. circular thermostat. And you know, I, I know for a, a fact, because Honeywell was a client, that, you know, the culture in that company was not about really looking back. It was only about looking forward. And looking forward is great. But, you know, the guy who wrote the, the forward to our book, Bruce Weindrick, has a great philosophy. And he calls it start with the future and look back. Mm-hmm. So if you're an innovator and you want to invent the future, that's great. But you have to always start after you look to the future, you have to look back and you have to look for those milestones and look for those examples of the past and try to identify those things in history that can help inspire you today. And I, then I wonder if you have an example you can share of one of those, right? And you mentioned that some are in the book that talked about, you know, Skunk Works and Edison and uh, things happen in Dayton. 
uh, Reynolds was there in NCR. And uh, yeah, do you I have mean, a favorite example or one that you go back to and say this helps to inform innovation? Well, I am fascinated by the Wright brothers because these these two brothers invented the airplane, and you know, within about a decade or two, they were completely out of the business. And I think it's a very important lesson for all innovators is, you know, these. These two brothers, they invented, you know, Wilbur and Orville, they invented the airplane for goodness sake. I mean, they were the first human beings to fly. And after this amazing innovation, they spent all their time litigating and arguing, and they lost their focus on innovation. I mean, they should have founded Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Airbus, all these great, you know, Northrop, all these great aviation companies it should have been them, but they, but they lost it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, it's, it's just a, I think it's a very powerful, powerful story. Yep. And, you know, they talk about Charles Kettering in the book and we don't tell this story in the book, but one of my favorite stories about Charles Kettering is he was trying to convince General Motors because he eventually went from national cash register to AC Delco to General Motors. And he was the head of R and D for General Motors and he was trying to convince the manufacturing guys that build the, you know, build everything that you can paint a car in an hour because it was, it was taking several days for them to paint a car. And they had come up with fast drying paint and some innovations. And they were trying to convince the people that actually worked at the factory that you can paint a car in an hour. And they wouldn't listen. They were like, nope, you can't do it. Nope, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to keep doing it. You know, they're like blocking innovation. And so what he did is he, he drove from Dayton up to Detroit, because people don't know this, but the, 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 day, the GM R&D lab originally was located in Dayton, Ohio. They moved up to Detroit later. And so he went up to Detroit and he took the head of manufacturing at General Motors out to lunch. And it was a long lunch, but when the guy came back, he couldn't find his car. And the reason he couldn't find his car is because he had his engineers take his car and paint it while they were at lunch. <laughs> and he painted it a different color. And he said, see, I told you we could paint your car in an hour. And that shock to the system convinced the manufacturing head that, yes, we can use your technology that you've invented and we can paint cars in an hour. It may not seem like a, a big innovation, but that's, a, I mean, from a manufacturing perspective, that's a huge innovation. Yes. So from several days to paint a car to, to one hour. Increases throughput considerably, right? Absolutely. And, and it ties back to experience. He had to have the experience himself to go, wow, my car is a different color now. Yeah. Interesting. But this, we, we could keep going. This is a great conversation. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. I ask for you guys to bring one and tell us what that one means. So this was from a project that we worked on a long time ago. This was so it was still in high school when we worked on this one. And it was for the Palo Alto Research Center. We were doing basically a new corporate lobby and a little exhibit for for Park. And this is, of course, you know, you talked about Steve Jobs and your iPod earlier. I mean, this is where Steve Jobs went to first see the graphical user interface. This is, you know, Xerox Park is where they invented the modern computer and so many other breakthroughs. It was, I mean, Park is amazing and they're still doing amazing things at Park. I mean, you know, it's, it's, they get frustrated sometimes because everybody judges them on like one thing, which is 
that Steve Jobs, quote, stole the graphical user interface, which he really didn't steal. He got permission to go over and look at it. But so so that, that's what they get judged for. But they're still really inventing the future there. And Steve Hoover is the CEO, and we were meeting with him, and he said, research is turning dollars into ideas. Innovation is turning ideas into dollars. And I love that quote because it's not just about coming up with ideas. Innovation isn't just about, hey, this is a great idea. Innovation is about monetizing those ideas. Mm-hmm. I love how succinct that is. I also love that it's a new quote to me. I know a lot of innovation quotes, hear a lot of quotes, and it's always a delight when I run into one that I'm not familiar with. So that was yeah, uh, great you brought that. But I love how succinct that is, right? That Innovation is, is turning ideas into dollars. You know, and you know, the research that went into the book, The CEO's Time Machine, there was a lot of research over decades of our work experience that went into that book. Mm-hmm. A lot of research. And that research came into ideas and it started as a story in 2016 and it started as doodles that Zoe did on Instagram in August, October of 2019. But it wasn't until we actually innovated and actually did it and actually got the book done and Zoe did 43 illustrations and we edited the copy and we innovated this whole process of getting the book published that we were actually able to monetize it because yeah, we do want people to buy the book. Yeah, you, you do this very special thing, which you, you put a price tag on it and offer it to the marketplace and, and you're, we're creating value now, right? Because it is a good story. It addresses history that I found fascinating. I just like the reading and the graphics yeah. are delightful. And for Did listeners- you have a favorite part? What's that? Did you have a favorite part? I think it was the part leading up to the reveal of the time machine, actually. Yeah, I, I kind love, of feel like it was yeah. building a little bit there. And and what what decisions are the, the COO, the prodigy, or what decisions is she, she going to make? Yeah, I like that scene in the present where they go in the rotunda. Yeah. And, you know, because, you know, even if you can go back and talk to the Wright brothers, you still have to come back and make the decision today. I mean, if we, all of us could travel back in time to, to 1919 and talk to leaders about how they recovered from the Spanish flu, we'd still have to come back to today and make a decision. Right. So, anyway. Thank you so much for having us on today. Our pleasure. Delightful to do this as a uh, daughter-father kind of combination here on both sides. Um, For people that want to get their hands on the book and also find out about the work that you do, what's the best way to do that? Uh, You can find us at ceotimemachine.com. And that's really, I mean, of course, the book's on, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere else, but ceotimemachine.com is the best way to find us. Great. ceotimemachine.com. Thank you both, Jeff, Zoe, Caitlin, thank Thank you for co-hosting. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with Jeff and Zoe, along with the action guide to help you take action now at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 294. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.